millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Actually, I forget that Moffat did do one good year. He did several good years. He's done quite a lot. I mean, he's like, the, the average standard has been pretty high. I so, I mean, embarrassingly, I still haven't seen Heaven Sent, Hellbent. All of the bits. Yeah, Hellbent was disappointing. Heaven Sent's amazing. Oh. Heaven Sent is like a proper, you know, one of the episodes for the ages. Um, but yeah, I am recording this now, so I may just stick this in the beginning like I did at the time. I'm very glad I'm not guilty by association. Excellent. Okay. I think you should open every single city metric with a Target Adventures style, the changing faces of John Alleges Stephanie replacement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we get on with the podcast, please? Sure thing. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Welcome to Skylines, the Metric podcast. I'm John. I think the effort I put in not heckling during your opening <laughs> thing is not being sufficiently thanked. I'm just going to all the trolling you yeah. do. I'm just going to include that. You know, I just, <laughs> just, want, I just want the, the world back to see. Loop <laughs> Anyway, let's talk about the election. I'm now joined by my colleagues from the New Statesman's Politics Desk, Stephen Bush and Patrick McGuire, to make some... Well, I think last time we got all our predictions pretty much bang on, didn't we? So so for what can what can possibly go Boldly on? go. Yeah. I'm Sue excited. Jeffrey's doing well as Tease Valley Mayor, isn't she? <laughs> I'm still too upset about that for it to be funny. Can we, like, joke about... Like, Sean Simon... I, he doesn't listen to this podcast, right? That's not as far as I know. Sean Simon losing, I can kind of take or leave, right? Because, you know, what was his qualification to be... To do you know, man, you know, Having been a Labour machine politician for a while against someone who had run a big organisation. But, yeah, I sometimes wake up... This is actually true. This is how sad I... I wake up and I just remember that Sue Jeffrey's lost and I just feel very sad. But okay, okay, okay. so the thing I wanted to talk about, I'm sure we'll get into more general election and electioneering in a bit. But the thing I wanted to talk about first was in a couple of very prominent elections recently in the Brexit referendum last year and in uh, the the Trump-Clinton battle in the US in November, there was quite a clear split between these two different types of voters based on values or economics or depending on how you Basically, good people live in cities, hicks live outside of them. I mean, I was going to go oh, with metropolitan versus provincial, but yeah, I mean, you can kind of see, like, in both, you know, in, you saw the same dynamic in upstate New York that you saw in uh, places like Middlesbrough, where there was a swing to the more protectionist, nativist candidate in areas where the economy's gone a bit rubbish and there aren't really any jobs and people are a bit miffed about that for understandable reasons. 
I'm wondering with the with the sort of late breaking Corbyn surge if that's going to fit the same pattern and all those extra votes are going to pile up in cities, probably in seats that Labour already hold. Um, I think there will be some places where it will it will gain them them seats. I mean, it was it was part of their 2015. Uh, problem as well right they they improved their votes in in real cities in in inner city areas they did poorly in suburban areas most famously Morley and Outwood uh uh, Ed Balls' old seat, but of course in, in the suburban, the bits of, of, of the Gower, a seat they've held, sorry, the bits of Gower, not the Gower, they've held since 1906, which they lost in 2015, they did particularly poorly in the kind of Swansea overspill suburbs. And everything I have seen is that Jeremy is basically offering a more intense version of Ed, it, without the painful contortions, a more open argument for left-wing values, and he seems to be doing significantly better among the groups than Ed did well in, but he also seems to be doing significantly worse among the groups than Ed did poorly in, which would put to point to, you know, the cities uh, being, you know, voted down by the towns, small villages, etc. So obviously, which are more lethal under first past the post. The sort of Corbynites are all. I mean, this is more a point about the Labour selection than it is about the uh, electorate at large. But this sort of the Corbyn surge is about sort of free-spirited metropoles is inaccurate to a certain extent. Uh, you know, the backbone of Corbyn's leadership support is sort of 50-something public sector employees, you know, across the country. But obviously, the bulk of those are voting for Labour anyway. But I would I would agree with the general assessment that, you know, how useful are these votes going to be under first-past-the-post? Not very, but, I, you know, there is a chance that we will see something Congress Labour holds in marginals because he has shored up the, the Labour base. Yeah, I think it, I, I do, and also the anti-system voters, as you've yeah. written about before. Yeah, I think the other the other interesting thing will be is I'm trying to. Work, I feel certain, and there must be places that I, uh, you know, you know, in Battersea, if if the Lib, where, yeah, because there are some places where the Lib Dem stop Brexit message is working, right? In Battersea, if the Lib Dems get seven thousand votes from the Tories, Labour actually don't really need to gain any votes there, and you assume they'd gain some for they've squeezed the anti-system parties. So I think. It could be a night where, you know, kind of, I don't mean this at all to put a gloss on Labour's two defeats and they've just had and, and what it feels likely to me to be a third. And so, But in some ways, actually, what's happening to Labour's coalition is it's being transformed gradually, becoming more of an urban party, more of a small L liberal party, etc., etc., looking more like the demographics which represent are the fastest growing, looks like the future. Of course, unfortunately, it looks like it's being defeated in the present. But I think a fascinating question for you, you know, as our cities maven, is um, is there something about cities that makes people more left-wing or do people move to cities because they are left-wing? I think it's a bit of both. I think it's, I think left-wing is actually the wrong label here. I think it's it's small L liberal, as you just said. I think like people, people do tend to move to cities when they're young. People, are, uh, cities diverse. People who are exposed to diversity tend to become more okay with diversity, uh, and, pe- and people in cities are more likely to work in in professional level jobs. All of those things kind of correlate with with liberal values, if not left wing ones. Well, uh, you know, in doing that, are we not in danger of say lumping together? Say in cities, I don't know, like. Liverpool or like uh, Newcastle or or Sheffield, say post-industrial cities, are we not in danger of sort of lumping together two different parts of the Labour tradition there? The sort of post-industrial tradition and the uh, sort of liberal 
studenty sort of thing. If you, if you get my if you get my point. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's in in the mix as well. But but nonetheless, like I think the logic does still apply that you know a lot of people in in Liverpool vote Labour because they're from Liverpool and Liverpool votes Labour. But there's also people who will move there as students at one of the free universities and then get a professional job and who who will be voting Labour for very different reasons. It kind of doesn't matter where those votes come from. I think you also have to think about the other side of the equation, like the the the, the places that maybe would have once voted Labour but are now less likely to, where there's been a swing to UKIP which may, uh, by the time anyone listened to this, may have turned out to be a swing to the Tories now as well, and which voted for leave. They're generally, like, there was this phrase that we used a lot about, you know, the left behinds. And I think it's a bit patronising to sort of refer to people as the left behinds. But I think often the places kind of are. They are literally, you know, it's the the people who live there are the people who did not get a degree and move out to somewhere where there are well-paying jobs. So those people are more likely to be older, they're more likely to be homeowners, they're more likely to be white. You know, it just, it's a whole lot of things that kind of correlate with not traditional Tory values, but this kind of slightly sort of protectionist, nativist thing as expressed I by UKIP or Donald Trump. To continue my, uh, my, my run of coming on your podcast and insulting a different city. Oh, who are you going to insult this time? I'm going to, I would critique the inclusion of Sheffield in that list. Oh, I thought you were going to go for Sunderland. Okay, what, what, come on. No one had brought Sunderland up. I, I may go for Sunderland later on in the podcast. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing I'm hearing from uh, candidates in Sheffield, the, the city itself, not, not, not Hallam, obviously, uh, is that it does not look great there. Then they are feeling quite worried about, uh, about, about it. Corbyn is, they do not feel Corbyn is surging where, where they are. You talk to candidates in Newcastle, you talk to candidates in Manchester and Liverpool, you talk to candidates in sort of... I mean, Birmingham, as ever, is always this weird enigma, right? The the, the only, I would argue, real city to vote to leave. Um, I think that was a matter of boundaries, like, yeah. without getting too far into it. I think like where you happen to draw the boundaries of cities has a big impact here. And Birmingham includes... Uh, a lot of the posh Birmingham city includes quite a lot of the posh suburbs, but not the poorer places like Smethwick that are just. But anyway, that's that's an aside. But Sorry, yeah. I'll let you get back to Sheffield. But yeah, kind of. So, so I think yeah, because the interesting thing is I wouldn't include Sheffield in that that grouping, and I think you're right to say that it's a different Labour system. But my instinct is is although I don't think Labour will lose any seats in Sheffield, I I I think it, they will be one of the places where, and we saw that in the local elections, right? The Conservatives actually did quite poorly in the not very many real cities that had elections um in the thing and in the mayoral selections other than in in greater manchester where they had the kind of burnham effect but you saw that very clearly with with steve rotherham you saw that with the bristol uh bath and bristol mayoralty you saw that with the mess midland the labor the labor vote falling away the second you left a real city and my instinct is sheffield is going to be more like um a non- Sheffield, it's worth noting, is uh, that I've now spent several years writing stories which draw through economic statistics once a week, uh, and, and and Sheffield is on every measure I've ever come across. Of the big cities, Sheffield is by far the poorest. It's the one where there's been kind of least bounced back from industrial decline. And I think, I'm also going to get letters from Sheffield now, but I kind of think having visited, you can see that. It does feel depressed in a way, like... 
Liverpool again, like everyone knows Liverpool is like a place that's had suffers from industrial decline, but you go there, there's an energy to the place, like there's a sort of pride in the place. Sheffield is still losing young people, isn't it? I don't actually know, but that wouldn't surprise me because again, it's like there's nothing there. I mean, yeah, there are no jobs. Two there. universities. Yeah, because the, the, sad, the sad truth is of, of, it has, of all of it's most. It's the lowest wages of the major yeah, cities. So, most like, anti immigration re- rhetoric and most places where anti immigration rhetoric is, is actually most of those places have an immigration problem, not an immigration problem. Uh, you know, ditto Sunderland. You know, yeah. And that, another thing I found out from trawling through the data a couple of years ago is. You can also see that the the, the 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 economically depressed cities have basically flatlined in population, which is you know that's not a population loss, except that the national population has really been growing pretty quick the last twenty years. So in term, in relative terms, they have declined. Yeah. And yeah, obviously the housing crisis uh, is the jobs crisis. Yeah, like there's a reason why bits of, of Britain's housing market are overheated because all of the jobs constant. I think the interesting question. Um, to kind of move away from the electoral dynamic, where obviously the problem for uh, for Labour, I suspect, and obviously it may turn out on Friday, and this is a comically wrong thing, will be, and, and Jeremy will be in Down- Downing Street. Um, but um, but the problem for Labour, of course, is those votes are are not are not useful because they're concentrated in the same places. The interesting economic question, I guess, is does does the small town have a, a future? You're sort of the, our urbanism expert. Is the destiny of small towns and small cities to, to die? And should we make it easier for people to move and start over? Or can they be rejuvenated? There is a definite problem brought on by globalisation, which is, you know, it's most, most towns would have grown around an industry. Now, in some cases, that industry can be, you know, it could be a mine, it can be a factory... But it can also be tourism or a university. Now, the ones that have grown around things that still apply, like if you're a kind of nice little resort town in the south of France, you're probably going to be fine because there's still people there at least half the year. If you're a university town, you're going to be okay because there's still people moving in and out all the time. But if, if the town only exists because it was built to supply workers for the mine, then that place doesn't really have a role in the global economy as it's set up anymore because jobs have increasingly flowed to a few big sort of nodes like London or New York or, or smaller nodes like Manchester. It's not clear what you can do if you're Burnley. Burnley, God. Well, Burnley's got good motorway links, though. Well, yeah, actually, I think this These problem... Places, I see a lot of, you know, it's easier on a place like, you know, Wigan and, and, and Burnley. Uh, but, you know, Wigan is on the West Coast mainline. It's good. I, I, I think, actually, this is one of those things where where it's not that bad in most of Britain because, like, so much of the population is concentrated... Either in the sort of broad sweep of the West Coast main line, or in the southeast of England, or in that M62 corridor, um, or, or even like the northeast, there's kind of another little sort of, not, not just the conurbation itself, but like the places like Morpeth or whatever are kind of quite tightly connected to, to urban areas. I think you're in much bigger trouble if you're a small town in Ohio, mm. where you're 400 miles from Cleveland or something. I don't, I don't know, it could be, I don't know how big Ohio is, but you know what I mean? It's like, you can't just think, well, we'll build a better railway line and then we'll be a commuter town. It's, you know, some of these places are too far from where the jobs are and it's not clear what you do to, to fix that. I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation at Dr. Beeching not doing his thing, would we? Uh, I should do a podcast on Dr. Beeching. You ought to. Point. You really yeah, ought to. Uh, yeah. The worst man in 20th century British history. You think? I mean, he's up there. Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan, obviously. I think he was pretty bad. 
But um, I mean, also, I think we kind of we're getting to the railways now. I kind of think we forget quite how little demand there was for some of those railways. Like some of them, obviously closing them was stupid and short term. Yeah. But there's probably like there were bits of like North Norfolk where there were lines everywhere, and there's just nobody bloody lives there. It's like you know. You, you can't... This is what happens when you don't plan the railway system. Well, sorry to Norman Lamb, if he's listening. May well be sorry to Norman Lamb. Is he going to lose? I mean, the Lib Dems have no safe seats. Yeah. I think it's a thing that you know people kind of forget. And you can tell things have gone badly because they've all vanished from the airways. Why have they vanished from the airways? Because they they're might, all fighting. They, they're yeah. all fighting their seats. And that is the thing. They, they always... Because the other interesting thing... So, I mean, obviously, there, there, are, there are elements of, of Jeremy having a successful campaign... He's turned a lot of people around him, but there are also people who are voting because they want Labour to survive. There is not a large body of people, except perhaps in Orkney, who, who, who particularly want the Liberals to survive. How bad could it get for them? What's kind of the minimum, do you reckon? Zero. Is it, yeah. Zero. <laughs> really is, reckon? Is it, the, the, the Lib Dems are a party who could get zero seats, right? That, that's always been the, the risk for them. I okay, so you've ruled out negative numbers. So that's which, I mean, which seats they get, more or less... Guaranteed, in inverted commas, to hold on to. Right, Mark Williams' seat is more or less the only the only one you think. I think that's only that's because the no one ever went broke betting against Plaid Cymru, managing not to win even on a great mm. night for them. Mm. But I think if you take away the fact that again, no one ever went broke betting against Plaid Cymru, um, actually, I can see how they might. Theoretically, I think they should have taken it last time, but mm. they didn't because you know. But there, I'd, I'd say there are two that we can more or less say are already lost in Carshalton, Wallington and Southport, where the UKIP, the UKIP thing, both have very chunky UKIP votes and very slender majorities, and you'd think... Yeah, and in Carshalton, Tom Brake you know, basically ran as the Save This Hospital candidate. The Tories right before Perda guaranteed some money for the hospital, so that issue's gone. Um, mm. John Pugh stood down. We know that the Lib Dems are, have personal followings. You know, even in the really bad result in 2015, you still had people doing slightly better because of their personal uh, followings. Then, well, t- tell me the worst about because w- one of the things I was really hoping might be a bright spot on election night is when the result from Richmond Park comes in. And Zach Goldsmith manages to lose his third easily winnable election well, in the space of I mean, don't think 13 it might months. Not happen. There is the, this is what I'm asking: is like, are we? Do we just need to accept that Zach Goldsmith is going to get back into see, the house? He of could. Commons? He could lose. Uh, people don't. People don't like being asked the same question three times. There is a lot of irritation with him in the area because of his campaign against Sadiq, and obviously Sadiq has only become more popular in London. That's thing that. The damage of that campaign, not only does it not go away, but every time Sadiq appears on, on like TV or the radio being like, I'm everyone's short, lovable mascot king. <laughs> everyone goes, oh, do you remember that guy who said he was a jihadist, right? So he's, and, and also, he, he did say he would resign if Heathrow didn't happen. And now, and, and now he's running on a pro-Heathrow manifesto. But the, the seat is now held by a Liberal Democrat, Sarah Olney, um, and surely, like Sadiq's popularity and Jeremy Corbyn's surge, might is more likely to translate into into Labour votes, even in a, a posh constituency like Richmond. Than I, it is. I, I, I but do. it's the can't win here factor, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Christine Wormer lost his deposit. I mean, obviously that was an artificially low result for Labour, but you'd still you'd still think that. I think on the whole, people do know how to. I think my instinct is is that the mistake that Tim Farron made was the idea that you can ask the Lib Dems 
step out from the shadow of Labour and succeed when it is failing, which was the reverse of the mistake that Ned Miliband made in 2015. Actually, I think on the whole, people get that they are voting against the Conservatives. Um, and they understand who they need to vote for to beat the Conservatives in most places. There are some three ways where it's unclear. But I, I think the Lib Dems, particularly Richmond, may have a better chance of, of needing to do my Zach Goldsmith. Because of Zach Goldsmith's so. the personal anti-vote. Yeah. I mean, he's still, he's doubled down on it is the amazing thing. Like occasionally he still goes off on the Twitter rant about how Sadiq Khan's past is a bit iffy. It's very weird. I know. What else is he going to do? Oh, I, I think, I think that makes more sense to me, right? Like, it's, at this point, he can't just be like, yep, yep, I did smear him. You've just got to be like, yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I think he's probably convinced himself. Okay, so a couple of other things I want to talk about before before we wrap up. One of which is regional breakdowns. Like, it felt to me in the mayorals that Labour were doing better in the northwest than perhaps in the northeast or the Midlands. Um, to what extent was that just a fluke of, like, Liverpool and Manchester are really good areas for them? Or to what extent do we think there might be a sort of regional effect in, in where the vote goes? Um, that's a very good question. I mean... There are some marginals where you uh, people on the ground are saying Labour uh, are almost certainly all the signs look bad for Labour despite the surge. For instance, uh, the estimable, estimable Jen Williams of the uh, Manchester Evening News was uh, did a very good Twitter thread about Bury South last night about how uh, there's a big Jewish population there and uh, people are willing to vote against what they see as a good campaigning Jewish Labour MP and Ivan Lewis because they're so um, disenfranchised with the Corbyn leadership. But also I think the towns in the northwest are where Labour are in more danger. But obviously, because they have such massive majorities, even in places like, say, Lee, where the majority, uh, there were thumping Brexit majorities, same with Wigan, for instance, that it's going to be much harder for the Tories to make gains there because there are so few genuine marginals knocking around. I think that feels broadly right. I think the local election, so no, no opposition party has ever beaten its local election percentage um, in a general election before, 
My instinct is that Labour Labour will comfortably break that pattern. But I think the local elections will still tell us a great deal about where Labour will break that pattern, right? So it won't look like the local elections in terms of percentage scores. They've clearly gobbled up the Lib Dem and Green vote. But I think it will in terms of, 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 yeah, there's small towns. um, Okay, there are only three places where, where Jewish voters are clustered together in sufficient numbers to do damage but I think for example Labour seem to think they can win back East Renfrewshire and I just don't see how how the Labour Party with the with the stories it's had and including in recent days about you know anti-semitism it can possibly win East Renfrewshire but the northwest is the only place in the in the UK region by region polling where Labour retain anything near uh, a lead indeed a lead apart from London London and northwest are the only places where Labour retained the lead. Obviously, that was taken before the Welsh barometer poll swung back uh, to yeah, Labour. Because I do think what's happened in this campaign is Jeremy Corbyn has successfully rebutted the kind of attacks, and he is an unusual Labour leader, so the stuff on security that you wouldn't have expected Ed Miliband to be hit with. Theresa May has... I don't know, do you remember the man who hated Britain? Like you know, People like did smear his father basically because he was a Jewish commie. Yeah, but... <laughs> But that kind of even more didn't work. Um, whereas you kind of would expect someone who actually did associate with the provisionals to be more vulnerable, and someone who actually was has voted against the nuclear deterrent more, has voted against every anti-terror, blah blah. Yeah, like the, you would you would have assumed that the Conservatives would do a better job of attacking someone on security who has been the most liberal in terms of security MP in the House of Commons. Um, so. Corbyn's success is he, he looks more like a, a nor, an ordinary Labour leader. Theresa May's failure isn't she looks more like an ordinary Conservative leader. Posh and cruel, fox hunting, you know, you know a bit wooden. Of my, course, my favourite tweet of the entire election, I have to say, comes from um, this guy left outside. He's a prominent anonymous lefty person who did once tweet. I just, I can't believe the Tories based their entire campaign on how good Theresa May is when she isn't any good. Didn't they think to check? Yeah. Well, it's like the cult of, building a cult, cult of personality around a woman who doesn't have a personality. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is about a traditional Labour Party and a traditional Conservative Party fighting each other is yes. you tend to get the traditional result. Thank you, Tony Blair. OK, so last question. You know it was coming. What's going to happen? Oh, God. Come on. Uh, I'd, I've, I'll repeat something I've been saying. Uh, that I'll reach for the comfort blanket of saying it'll be a 2005-esque Tory majority. Um, majority about, what, 65 to... Between 65 and 80. Uh, but I'd, I would caveat that with saying there will be a few incongruous Labour holds and maybe even a few incongruous Labour gains. I actually would largely agree with that. I think the one thing I would say is I suspect Labour might even improve on their vote share from 2005. But which will be seized on by the left as like, look, he got more vote. He got a bigger vote share than Tony Blair. But it won't actually help. Stephen? I think think Labour hitting 30. Well, so they would need to get 36 to beat Blair because obviously you have to take away Northern Ireland. I think it feels very likely to me that Labour will get 35%, 34 33%. Unfortunately, I think it's quite likely the Tories will get 45 to 49% of the vote. 
and I think that will be more lethal than for, than a, a universal and uh, a US national swing prediction would necessarily indicate at first, because we know that the big thing that has changed since 2010 is both parties now are fighting much more effective subterranean street by street campaigns on Facebook, right? So so they are just getting a much more effective bang for their advertising buck. The Conservatives did much better in their marginals in 2015 than they did anywhere else. I suspect that will continue. Um, so yeah, I think. 30, 45, 35, but actually the upper end of the Conservative majority perhaps still getting the 100-seater they crave. Okay, I did say that was going to be my last question. I'm going to do part B of that question, which is like, what are the odds of a really serious upset? Like, how likely would you put something that looks like a proper failure for the Tory party, like a hung parliament? I think it's odds I would have given Trump, 25%. Not likely, very plausible, yeah, kind of plausible, but not likely, right? You can you can completely see Corbyn does have a path to victory. It requires his coalition to be much more geographically spread than mm. than the signs suggest it were were in the local elections. It requires conservative complacency and anger with her to mean people don't turn out. But you can you can see it, right? You can you can see a situation in which the Conservatives have lost their majority and a Labour minority administration can cobble together some kind of arrangement with the other parties. It's plausible. If we take an average of the polls currently, the the, the average of the polls is something like six and a half percent Tory lead. Um, John Curtis has said if the Tories are in that sort of ballpark, they are several caveats here potentially at risk of losing their majority. And all that need, you know, all that need, it just needs a few opportune swings for Labour in the, a few of the right seats uh, for that to happen. But those seats are very few and far between, especially with the flight of UKIP voters to May. Obviously, that's going to be the intriguing thing. Will the UKIP vote, the 2015 UKIP vote, turn out? Will they break for May in the way that they've looked like? Will the UKIP vote prove more resilient, or has the Corbyn surge attracted some of them in the uh, final days of the campaign? Well, we'll know soon enough. I'm. Going to tweet this as Stephen Bush predicts Corbyn landslide, just so you're clear. <laughs> cool. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.